You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord out there, everyone in podcasts and YouTube land and Facebook land. We just thank God again for you being with us. Uh, this is part three of our series, The Question of the Intimate Return of Christ. And so before we get into our lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord God, for those that have tuned in uh, to this lesson, Lord God. Father, bless them and keep them. Uh, open their hearts and their minds that their understanding and their uh, and their wisdom be quickened, Lord God, that they may learn thereby and be edified. Father, the purpose of these teachings is to edify you and the body of Christ, Lord God, and we have dedicated our lives to this study, Lord God, and we just thank you that you have kept me all these years, Lord God, for me to be able to do what I am doing now in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we count this as a, uh, not, not as a light thing, but a heavy thing, a urgent thing, Lord God, that people might understand what will befall this earth and the days ahead. Now, this might not be this year, next year, or the next 20 years. We don't know, but the people of God need to know what thus saith the Lord concerning the, part, the end times or the eschaton, eschatology in Jesus' name. And so, God, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, for it is in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. And so we just, again, we thank God uh, for all of you uh, that have tuned in and we just ask God for you to give you to give you grace that you may uh, be able to understand these teachings and grow thereby. So we're going to go ahead and start our, our presentation. Uh, glory to God. The question of the intimate return of Christ, part number three. And so we're going to begin uh, this lesson with a, a scripture from the book of Acts. And uh, a very interesting question, uh, scripture, and we're going to be talking about the parameters of the church uh, for this particular aspect of our lesson. And so uh, 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 Acts chapter number two, verse number 17 through 20 reads as such, and we're actually using the English Standard Version. Uh, and the uh, word of God reads, and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see, shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And so here, ladies and gentlemen, is an interesting passage for a few reasons. Number one, we understand that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Glory to God. And so this is, this is Peter's sermon in response to those that were mocking him because they thought they were drunk when they heard them all speaking in, uh, in, in, in their own native languages, being Galileans. They were very interested in how they were able to do that. And so uh, we, uh, so Peter responds, but Peter responds with a quote from Joel uh, chapter two. And, uh, and so basically, uh, so we understand that again, the church began on the day of Pentecost. And so the interesting aspect of this uh, new organism, the spiritual organism called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that Jesus uh, uh, talked about when he said in Matthew uh, 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, it says in the last days, it shall come, to, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old man shall dream dreams on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders, and this is interesting now, listen to what he says, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the, on the earth below. Now, this is interesting. Here, on the day of Pentecost, part of the sermon was some things that would be characteristically a part of the church. The, the spirit of prophecy would be poured out on people. But towards the end of the church, God is going to start doing some things. He says, I'm going to show you some signs. Signs and wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. So now we understand as a characteristic of the church, there are signs and wonders that are going to be seen in the heavens and in the earth realm. And so the apostle here, the apostle Peter is making sure that we understand it, that there would be some characteristics about the body of Christ and during the epoch or the time, the era that the church is in existence on earth, which has been two thousand years and running now glory to god or close to two thousand years so he said i will show signs on the earth below and then he goes to verse number 20 he said the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood that's a sign those are the Signs in the cosmos, the cosmic signs. 
but there are some specific signs that come right before the great and notable day of the Lord comes. So that's, so we have two bookends. We have the day of Pentecost is one bookend. That's the beginning of the church. Two right before the great and notable day of the Lord comes. That's the other bookend. Why? Because the church is not appointed to wrath. And the day of the Lord is the day of God's vengeance. Glory to God. When Jesus was reading the uh, Isaiah, glory to God, in the temple, he said, the spirit of the Lord is, a, is, a, is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and all that. And then he said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. But if you go back to Isaiah and read that passage, the next phrase is, and the vengeance of our, of, of our God. And the vengeance of our God, the reason why Jesus stopped reading there, because the vengeance of our God is to be exacted or executed in the day of the Lord when God, the time of God's vengeance. And so the church one book in, the beginning book in, is the day of Pentecost. The second book in is right before the great and notable day of the Lord comes. How do we know that's true? Because the church has been here for 2,000 years now, and it hasn't been raptured yet. And Israel is already a nation. So now that Israel is back in her land, Ezekiel talked about it in uh, Ezekiel 38, and there are other many prophecies that uh, the Bible says God was going to gather his people. But Ezekiel particularly, Ezekiel said that when Israel comes back into the land, that would be considered the latter years. So the latter years, glory to God, if it started in 1948 when Israel became a nation, now we know we're in the latter years. That was in the 20th century, ladies and gentlemen, 1948. Now we have made it over to the 21st century. We're in the second decade of the 21st century. The rapture has not happened yet. So now certainly we are much closer to that second bookend, which is right before the great and notable day of the Lord comes. So these things are important, but it's also important to understand that characteristic during the church age, God said, I'm going to show you some signs. Glory to God. Now, this is what God said. Now, we know that the doctrine of eminence says no signs were given to the church that must precede the rapture. Well, that's how the dispensationalists frame that doctrine. The doctrine, the word intimates is not in the Bible. And as Dr. Paul Benware said, because we've been using his book and we're, we will continue to quote him uh, throughout this study, as he said, glory to God, this is a theological concept. So what happens is, is dispensationalists are handcuffed to that theological concept and they won't allow any signs to come before the rapture. So if there are any signs that do come, they say that they didn't have to come. It wasn't necessary for these signs to happen before the church is raptured. So that's how they, they maintain the integrity of the concept they created. So the day of the Lord, the day the Lord poured out his spirit, the church began. And it goes to before the day, great and day of the 
great before the day of the Lord comes, the church or ends or is raptured. The day of the Lord's wrath, the day of the Lord is the wrath of God. The church is not appointed to the God's wrath. And so that's why the position that I teach is pre-wrath. Glory to God. But it's not the same. I always say this. It's not exactly the same as Marvin, Rosen, Marvin Rosenthal in that group. Because there's some things that I focus on that they don't focus on. And so we'll get into that later. The time between Pentecost, the age of the church, and the day of the Lord is, an undeter is, is undetermined and has been running for 2,000 years now. And we'll eventually get into why God decided to keep it running so long. Now, let's again quote from another notable scholar. Uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but his name is Dwight Pentecost. And uh, Dr. Pentecost is one of the people that I wrote in my book. You can see the cover right behind me, Revelation, Revolution, the Antichrist, Angels in the Abyss. Uh, his letter that I wrote to him, his letter that he wrote back to me, and I actually have handwritten comments on a paper and I put all of that in the book. I want you to see the things this man said to me. Some of them just completely ridiculous, refusing to answer key questions and all of that. You, But you got to get, get, get my book and you'll see it. Uh, it's available everywhere. You can get it at Walmart, Amazon, ebook, all that, iTunes, wherever you want to get books. Uh, you can go to any Christian bookstore and order it. If uh, they don't have it on the shelves, they can get it. Okay, just give them the title and, and my name and they should be able to pull it up in their systems and find it. Okay, but let's look at this. This is what the this is what Dwight Pentecost says. The doctrine of eminence forbids the partation participation of the church in any part of the seventieth week. Now, notice what he says. The doctrine of eminence forbids the partition the particip participation of the church in any part of the seventy week. He said the doctrine of eminence forbids that. Wait a minute, didn't y'all create the doctrine of eminence? So how does your doctrine of eminence forbid anything? That's something you made up. But let's keep reading. The multitude of signs given to Israel to stir their expectancy would then also be for the church. And the church would therefore be looking for signs and not for Christ until the signs are fulfilled. That, and see, that assumption is just not true. Jesus is the one who gave, listen, none of us would be looking for any signs if the Bible didn't give them, number one. The signs that you call are given for Israel is because you'll see a difference in the signs of the day of the Lord and the signs for the rapture of the church. Well, I don't see that difference because Paul didn't see the difference. And the reason why we know Paul didn't see the difference is because in 2 Thessalonians chapter number two, verse number one, he said, now concerning brethren about the, the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to him. So Paul is addressing both the day of the Lord and the rapture. He's not, he's not separating them out in the sense of the signs that follow, which he gave, which is the abomination of desolation. Those are signs for both events, the rapture and the day of the Lord. The reason being, both of them come after 
the abomination of desolation. But let's get back to Dr. Pentecost's argument. The multitude of signs given to Israel to stir their expectancy would then also be for the church. Okay, that part I can go with. And the church therefore would be looking for signs and not for Christ. No, if it's the signs that Christ gave and the signs Christ said, these signs precede my coming, then we're doing what Christ said to do. They make it a crime to look for what Jesus said to look for. See, in the doctrine of eminence, they're the ones who put that stipulation there. Glory to God. Did we not just read what Peter said? God said, I will show you signs in the heavens above and pillars of cloud and smoke and vapors of cloud and smoke and all that. He said signs in the heavens and in the earth beneath. The narrative of signs was thematic for the age of the church. So this whole idea that we're not to look for signs when God is the one that gives the signs, that's what the book of Revelation, Revelation is full of information about what's gonna happen during that time. God is the one who gave it to us through the Holy Spirit. Let me finish. The multitude of signs given to Israel to stir their expectancy would then also be for the church and the church would therefore be looking for signs and not for Christ until the signs be fulfilled. The fact that no signs are given to the church, but rather is commanded to watch for Christ precludes her participation in the 70th week. Now, see, statements like that sound really official. And if you're a lay person, you don't know how to weed, through, you don't know how to navigate through them weeds he just threw out there. That's theological wrangling that means absolutely nothing. The doctrine of eminence that they have laid out there is not even in the Bible. They are the ones that said, you can't use the signs that the Lord gave of his own coming. He's the one who gave the signs. Glory to God. Pre-tribulationists handcuffs themselves to this doctrinal tenet that they created. And, and, and to just to reiterate what he said, the church would be looking for signs and not for Christ until the signs be fulfilled. Is a ridiculous argument because the signs given in the Bible, many by Christ himself, are the signs he gave concern, concerning his own coming. Christ is the one who wanted us to know. We can either choose what Christ told us or what pre-trib teaches us. You, know, you can make your choice. Now, Jesus said, look out for this. Pre-trib says, no, that's for, to Israel. Well, I tell you what, you make your choice. Who are you going to trust? Glory to God. That's the question. If the Bible declares it, we must pay attention to what the Lord said would happen before his coming. Looking for Christ includes knowing ahead of time the things to come. 
ignoring what the Bible declares is what the Bible declares is going to happen in the end times is foolishness. Why would you ignore something that Jesus said would happen? Why would you do that? If God said it, you better consider it. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, I'm going to choose what the Lord said. Now, did preach real? Y'all can have your doctrines. Listen, and when you get to heaven, take Dr. Pentecost's book up there, and then you lecture God on what he should have did. Because, see, obviously, Dr. Pentecost, well, he don't know nothing now because he's gone on with the Lord. But I'm just saying, take, take, take those books. Take MacArthur and all of those with you. And see, and see uh, let me know how that works for you. Maranatha, our Lord come. I want you to see that, okay? As the New Testament passages on the rapture were written, no signs given that must be fulfilled. Rather, there seems to be a consistent belief and anticipation that the Lord Jesus might well return within the lifetime of the writers and his recipients. A normal reading of a number of scripture passages leads to the conclusion that the writers of the New Testament believe in intimacy. Intimacy. That comes from Paul Benware, Understanding the End Times, page uh, 249 to 250. I just put that in there because we're going to deal with that. Again, these are the scriptures, some of the scriptures they use. James 5, 7 through 9, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, Titus 2, 13, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. It would appear then that the few fixed usage of the term Maranatha by the early Christians, and the, the word Maranatha means Lord come, okay? The, by the usage of the term Maranatha by the early Christians was a witness to their strong belief in the intimate return of Christ. If they knew that Christ could not return at any moment because of other events or a time period had to transpire first, why did they petition him in the way that implied that he could come at any moment? Well, the reason to that question is the reason why they questioned and, and said that because number one, they were wrong. Because their concept about when the Lord and when they thought he was going to come was skewed, was off, was incorrect. And we know that because 2,000 years has gone by. We have 2,000 years of history to prove that. Okay. Now, he said, if they knew that they're, okay, let me just point this out. It says, if they knew that Christ could not return at any moment because of other events or a time period that had to transpire first, and ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what happened. What time period has transpired first? 2,000 years. It wasn't for them to know. 
It wasn't for them to know that they had no chance. They absolutely unequivocally, no chance of seeing Christ raptured, seeing the rapture in their lifetime. No chance, absolutely none. How do we know that? It hasn't happened yet. It's 2000 years later. Now, they might not have known that, but God knew. This didn't catch God by surprise. Again, this is the imminence error. It is clear that the doctrine of imminence sprang from the belief that Christ was going to return in the first century. It's clear. He just, as a matter of fact, Dr. Benware just quoted the, 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 the uh, early Christian's use of the word Maranatha, which means the Lord come. Well, we can all say Maranatha. Each one of the scriptures used to back eminence doctrine was written at a time of tribulation and persecution of the church during the first century. Okay. The Thessalonians believed they were in the day of the Lord already. Although if Paul were teaching a pre-trib rapture, he could have just said, you know, the day of the Lord hasn't arrived first because the rapture hasn't happened yet. That would, that, that, that would have been the, the, just a quick thing to end the whole thing. He'd have said, listen, you know, this ain't the day of the Lord because of what comes first is the rapture it comes before, you know, so the rapture hasn't happened yet. So, you know, The saints that John wrote to in his first epistle were anticipating, actually anticipating Antichrist. In 1 John 2.18, although it's strange that if John were teaching the pre-trib rapture that he would have told them that the church would not be here to see the Antichrist, but that's not what he said. He said, you heard Antichrist is coming. This is how we know we're in the end times. It's strange that he would say that if he knew the church wasn't going to be here. It would appear then that the fixed usage of the term Maranatha by early Christians was a witness to their strong belief in an imminent return. Okay. The problem with what they believed is, like I said before, they were wrong. God had absolutely no intention of returning in the first century. Again, we have 20 centuries of history to prove that. The pre-tribulationists cannot escape the fact that the doctrine of eminence was based on a first century error because they keep referencing what they thought in the first century. Well, they thought the earth was flat in the first century too, okay? And they thought that you went far enough on the horizon, you would fall off the edge of the earth and monsters would eat you up. That's what they thought. The whole bunch of stuff that the first century Christians thought that you, that <laughs> you really don't want to go there. There's a lot of things that primitive people thought, all right? Telling them to look for Christ had nothing to do with the fact that the Lord was coming soon because God knew that he wasn't coming back for at least 2000 years. So this is the point that I really want you to get. Telling them to look for Christ 
obviously had nothing to do with the fact that the Lord was coming soon in their lifetime. Period. And we know that. How do we know that? The clock has been running for 2,000 years. Let me say that again. Telling the first century Christians to look for Christ obviously had nothing to do with the fact that the Lord was coming soon. Obviously, God had another purpose in what he meant when he said that. Besides, what else was God going to tell him? You have no chance of seeing a rapture in your lifetime? Only one generation of living Christians will see the rapture. And it wasn't the first century Christians. God didn't choose them for that. We can't lose sight of that fact. Excuse me. So when the scriptures said or encouraged them to wait and to look for the Lord, he obviously did not mean it would happen during their lifetime. Wait and look for the Lord was written for all Christians for all ages. Because when the scriptures were written, ladies and gentlemen, God was not just looking at the first century question. He was looking at us too. 20 centuries later, the first century church may not have known that, but God knew. So as he's inspiring the epistles to be written, we have to remember these are not merely of human agency. There's a lot of things that Peter wrote and Paul wrote that they may not have understood. And God did not reveal everything to them. All their job was to do was to preach the gospel, go out and win disciples, write these epistles. And God didn't tell them everything. It's not like God told Paul or, or maybe he did. Maybe when he was caught up to heaven and then when he came back to earth, he didn't remember or something. You know, who knows? You know, we, you know what, what, what God did or what God didn't do. But what I'm saying is it was clear, God, those were not his intentions when he put in there to wait and look for the Lord. He did not mean he was coming in the first century because wait and look has to mean something for us too 20 centuries later. A person can eagerly wait for their birthday to arrive. But that doesn't mean their birthday could happen at any time. <laughs> you could be eagerly waiting for Christmas. <laughs> but that doesn't mean because you're eagerly waiting and you're looking for it, that Christmas could happen sooner than December 21st, 25th. Eminence is not necessarily connected to waiting. See, that's a, an unnecessary connection that they make based on how they felt the first century Christians thought. So this is where we get the doctrine of eminence. It comes from their observations of what they think the first, Christian, uh, first century Christians thought. But we cannot disinterpret the scriptures based on what first Christians first century Christians thought 
Now we could do that. Now let me give you a, a way we could do that. We could do that if Peter and Paul were simply writing some of their own material and that's all it was for. Like, 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 like uh, uh, Socrates back in the Greek uh, poet and, and philosopher, uh, glory to God, uh, uh, the, the material they wrote. They're not inspired by God, but you know, they wrote plays and philosophy for their age, okay? But that's not what Paul and Peter were doing. They were writing epistles that would be applicable not only to the first century, but to Christians of all ages, whether they understood it that way or not, because they were being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write things that God had a, 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 an eye for all Christians. He wasn't just writing for them. It's a mistake to even think that. He's writing for us today as well. He's writing for Martin Luther. He's writing for Thomas Aquinas. He's writing for the people that lived in the 6th century, the 12th century, the 13th century, the 5th century, the 4th century, the 20th century, the 21st century. He was writing for all Christians, all languages, all over the world. All at once because in God's view, there, he's, he has the eternal now. He's not restricted by time and space. God doesn't just think in a linear, logical fashion like humans. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than, are higher than ours. And his ways are past finding out. Glory to God. So we have to also understand that looking for the Lord also means waiting for everything that God said would occur that leads up to his coming. You cannot divorce waiting from the material that Christ has told you would happen before his coming. Waiting would include that, not exclude it. Pre-trib makes it a crime to look for the things that God said would happen. Now, that's crazy to me. It really is. The abomination of desolation. Let's talk about that. It's important. It says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Okay, now. Dispensationalists get really weird here. Because they're trying to say, oh, this is not talking, this is not talking about the church. This is Jesus is talking to the Jews. Well, the Jews he was talking to were the first Christians. So I don't, so I don't see how that, that argument stands. But let us continue on. Question. All right. Who's been reading Matthew for the last 2,000 years? Whoever reads this means it's a prophecy given to the reader to know. Number one, especially if it hasn't happened yet. Who's been reading the New Testament? Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, during the church age, during the age of the church. Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, during the age of the church. We're the ones who read the New Testament. We're the ones who live by the New Testament. 
We're the ones who are disciples or followers of Christ. Christ is living in us, all of those who've been born again. Glory to God. The book of Matthew is not found in any other religious book other than New Testament. So who else is reading this? So the question is, is whoever is reading it, then that's the information that God decided for that group to read. And if he decided for that group to read it, he wanted them to know for a certain reason. If he wanted them to know, why did he want them to know? Just so they could say, oh, that don't have nothing to do with us. Well, it didn't have anything to do with the first century Christians, certainly. Or parts of it, at least in at least not uh, a Luke 20, uh, the aspects of Luke 21, where it did talk about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. So granted, there, there are some historical things that did actually occur in their lifetime, okay? But the bottom line is 20 centuries later, no rapture yet. There's a reason for that. Now listen, in order for the abomination to come to pass, Several things must be in play first. Now, Jesus gave a specific, specific sign. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Before the abomination of desolation could happen, several things must be in place first. The first First of all, Israel must be a nation again, which puts every prophecy in the Bible in play concerning Israel coming back to their land as a sign of the latter years. That means prophecies in Deuteronomy. That means prophecies in Isaiah. That means prophecies in Jeremiah. That means prophecies in Ezekiel. That means prophecies in Daniel. That means any Old Testament prophecy that, that had anything to do with Israel coming back to her land in the latter years, that puts every one of those prophecies into play that have to occur before you get to the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. The futuristic aspect of it, because we know there was a historic aspect of it when Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Jewish temple, glory to God, and uh, 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 committed sacrilege and, and sl sl slew a pig on the altar, erected a statue of Jupiter and all of that, and killed up a bunch of people. And there was a, the Maccabean revolt, which caused the holiday Hanukkah, which caused them to rededicate the temple, which happened on December 25th, uh, 164 I believe BC, well, either 164 or 165 BC, 164, I think, BC. Glory to God. So Jesus is looking back to that, to that. And Jesus himself observed Hanukkah. Glory to God. Uh, John chapter uh, 10, verses, I think, believe, what is that, 20, 20 and 21, or 21 and 22, something like that. It's called the Feast of Dedication. That's really Hanukkah, because that's what Hanukkah means dedication. All right. So in order for the abomination in the future of desolation to happen, many things must happen first. Glory to God. They have to. First, Israel must be a nation again. Again, which puts every prophecy in the Bible in play concerning Israel coming back to their land as a sign of the latter years. 
Jerusalem must be in Jewish control. Now in 1948, that was not the case. They didn't get control of Jerusalem until the Six Day War in 1967. That's when they got it. And then when they got it, the soldiers said, the Temple Mount is back in our hands. It was, they really celebrated that. Glory to God. Must be in Jewish control. That didn't happen to 1967. The Antichrist is going to commit the abomination of desolation. That means the covenant or the peace treaty must already be enacted. So Daniel 9, 27, it tells us, and he will make a covenant with many for one me and for one week or one seven-year period or one, or one seven or seven-year period. And in the middle of that seven years, three and a half years, he would take away the daily sacrifice and the grain offering, the wave offering, the oblation, and he will cause and he will place the abomination that makes it desolate. Glory to God. That's Daniel 9, 27. So that means... The covenant would have to be in place. The temple would have to be built. And he would have to go in and take away the daily sacrifice and all of that. All of these things need to be in place when you talk about the abomination of desolation. It can't just up and happen. Okay. The temple must be rebuilt. A priesthood equipped trained and established. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, there's an organization in Israel called the Temple Institute. Do you know they're training the peace priest? Do you know they're actually making the utensils and, and the holy garments for the priest to wear? Do you know the Temple Institute, you could go to their website, they actually have designs of the temple and, uh, uh, and, and you could take a virtual tour of it. Just go to, listen, if I'm lying, I'm flying. Go to the internet and look up, glory to God, the Temple Institute and see, do they not give you a virtual tour of the temple that's eventually going to be constructed? They already have it. This is not science fiction. This is not J.K. Rollins and Harry Potter. This is real. This is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. These are the signs that Jesus himself gave. Preach rib goes, oh, hey, sons. We can't use that because if you use that for the rapture, you also have to use those for the second coming. And then you would have things happening before the rapture that have to happen. Exactly. You're the one who created eminence. The Bible didn't create that. A bunch of scholars got together at Dallas Theological Seminary or somewhere else, and they came up with this stuff. Exactly. Y'all created that. You are the one who handcuffs yourself to the doctrine of eminence, not me. The temple must be rebuilt the priesthood equipped and trained and established. The daily sacrifice must start to be offered up. Since the, Jesus directed us to look to Daniel, that puts all the prophecies in Daniel about the end times in, in play as signs. 
See, he, he didn't have to go down the list and just name them individually. All he had to do was say the abomination of desolation, abomination of desolation, because so many things have to be in place before you get to a temple in Israel, like Israel would have to be there. <laughs> so all of that, ladies and gentlemen, brings all of those prophecies in to play as signs. If you have any sense, if Jesus says, this is how it's going to be before I come, and he's the one that told you, you can listen to Dwight Pentecost or Ben Ware or whoever, Hal Lindsey, if you want to. You can listen to them, John McCarthy, whatever you want. You can listen to any of those you want to, but I'm going to tell you something. If I were you, I would listen to what the Lord said. As for me and my house, I'm going to believe God. I have no interest in, in, in supporting or uh, 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 propagating or promulgating promulgating uh, uh, the the issues of pre-trib. That is my, not my purpose in earth realm. I'm trying to stir people up to say, listen, that doctrine is faulty and we're going to all know that in, a, in, the, in the time Daniel 70 week gets here. And you're going to have a whole lot of Christians that are going to be freaking out. Just like they did when their presidential candidate did not win. Oh, they thought he was, they, they, oh, they just thought Donald Trump was going to bring it. Listen, go to Newsweek in February of 2018 has an article, Newsweek, go to Newsweek, has an article on how evangelicals thought that Donald Trump was going to usher in the end of the world. Because he was going to be the one that bringing all these treaties together. He was going to be the friend of Israel and evangelicals know darn well that the one who was doing all of that is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be a friend of Israel. Yes, he will. That's how he deceives them. That's how he gets them, everybody to the table. But at the same time, a President Trump or former President Trump was a friend of Israel. He was also being controlled by Russia. Russia is the nation that attacks Israel. They know that. But they never talked about that part. They always left Gog and Magog out. Oh, yeah, because uh, their guy who lost had an agenda. One of his agenda was, was to be beholden to uh, 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 President Putin. The former KGB agent and the other uh, uh, service that took over after the KGB, because technically I don't think the KGB still exists. They, I think they renamed it. But the bottom line is they played long game on President Trump. They, been, they scoped him from a long way and they worked him for years to get him and they were behind him. Glory to God. That's my commentary. Now let me leave that alone. Israel has to be ready to assume the mantle. And listen to this, it's very important. Israel has to be ready to assume the mantle after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Once the church is gone, God turns back to his people Israel and their blindness removed. God restarts his redemptive work in Israel in preparation for the coming of his messianic kingdom. Israel could not have 
been in that position until she was back in the land to allow all of the other prophetic events that must play, take place, that must take place. So the mystery of Israel's blindness is con connected, ladies and gentlemen, to the fullness of the Gentile church. In other words, when the last Gentile that's part of the church is saved. And let me say this too. It's not that God completely doesn't deal with Israel because how else would Israel be a nation if he didn't deal with them? <laughs> See, you know, we have to be careful even when we say that, that God doesn't deal with them. Of course he does. How do you think they won the six day war with all them people coming at them? All those miraculous wars that Israel won. Uh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, if God wasn't dealing with Israel, how is the nation back there? How did he bring all those people back there, including the Ethiopian Jews that are black people, but they're still Jews? That tells you something. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just, just a side note. I'm going to give you this one for free. You can't go by the color of somebody's skin to determine whether they're Jew or not, whether they're part of Israel. Because guess what? God scattered them all over the planet. You got white Jews. You got Asian Jews. You got Middle Eastern Jews. Glory to God. Chinese Jews, yes. Some China. Glory to God. You got black Jews, Africans, darker skinned than me, Jews, all over the world. God knows who they are. And during, as we see the book of Revelation, he's going to mark 12,000 from each of the tribe because these tribes are still here. Whether they know who they are or not, it's not important. This is God's program. He done reserved him some witnesses. <laughs> Ooh, we is there going to be some surprises of who Israel is? Oh my God. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The blessings or the curses on nations are going to be determined by how those nations treated God's people. Let me leave that alone. Let me, let, let me go on to a, a, another subject. The fullness of the Gentiles. So let's get to that. The fullness of the Gentiles. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited He's telling you, I don't want you to get conceited. I don't want you to get big head because God didn't open the door to you Gentiles. Us Gentiles, you Gentiles. They don't get conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening and in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So now the hardness that Israel is experiencing in other versions, it says blindness. Here in the NIV, it says hardness. The hardness that Israel is experiencing is directly connected to or is in correlation to the fullness of the complete number of Israel. <laughs> 
of a complete number of the Gentiles coming into the church. So it's two things that are meeting at the same point in the middle. As God fills up the number of, of saints that's in the church, at the same time, Israel's blindness is being removed and they both meet in the middle. So with that, when one is done, the other one is ready. Think about that. When God is done with the church, now he's ready to remove Israel's blindness or their hardness. What hardness does Israel have? Jesus says, he came into his own and his own received him not. But John says this in the first chapter of John. He, 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 came to the, he came into the world and the world knew him not. He came into the world, the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. The Jews rejected Jesus and Paul even said it. He said, you Jews, so you hard, you stiff neck people, you keep hardening your heart. So Paul said, forget you guys, lo, I go to the Gentiles. So James, Peter, and John, they all had ministries to Jewish Christians. Paul said, forget the Jews, even though he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Jew himself. His ministry went to the Gentiles. And this is why we have these books that he wrote, like Romans and Thessalonica and Galatia. And all of those books have to do with him communicating and reaching out to these Gentile populations. Okay. So what the Bible is telling us here is very interesting. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So this is a hidden truth. This is a mysterion brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. In other words, you Gentiles, don't you dare think God is through or that he has forsaken his people to the contrary. That is not true. God can, can, can walk in true bubblegum, you know. He can multitask. He can do more than one thing. Glory to God. Not, God is not a man. Mm -mm. You can't get this mixed up. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until, listen to that, that's conditional, until. That means something has to happen first, until. That means Israel is not ready to take her mantle until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's the Gentile church. When the last Gentile is saved, God knows that number. God knows he hasn't done. This is why the rapture hasn't happened yet. Because God is not finished adding to that. It's not finished yet. But we know we're getting close because Israel is in position. Not until 1948 were they in position. Not until 1967 when they took back Jerusalem. See, they have to be in position. So while when God is fulfilling, filling up the Gentile church at the same time, he's getting Israel ready so that when the church is full, boom, they go, Israel takes over. That's interesting. 
in this way, all Israel will be saved. Speaking of the remnant that's left, because a lot of them are going to die. And in and, and, and Ze uh, Zechariah chapter 14, half the city is going to go into captivity. Said the women are going to be raped and everything. Houses rightful, women raped. Folks are going to be fleeing, man. It's going to be a mess in Jerusalem. Glory to God. They're not going to go unscathed in this. It's only going to be a remnant left of them. Glory to God. But that's all God needs. God, God, God always just worked with a few. The family of Noah ended up repopulating the whole world. Twelve men. God, Jesus didn't need a whole bunch of people. Twelve men changed the entire planet but Jesus Christ through the gospel. Twelve men. That's all they needed in some time. Glory to God. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. So the thing is, is it, the reason why the Jews became enemies of the gospel and enemies of the Christ, there was another plan working here. It was for the sake of the Gentiles. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, for your sake, Gentiles. But as far as the election is concerned, because they were foreknown before the foundation of the world, they were already promised, just like the church, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. Which patriarch is he talking about? Started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were your patriarchs. And then the heads of the tribes, Judah, and Zebulon, Issachar, all those guys, Gad, Simeon, <laughs> all those guys, right? The sons of Jacob. For God's gifts and his God's gifts and his call are irre irrevocable. So what he's the principle he's laying down, the promise that was made to Abraham is the irrevocable promise that even if God put the Israel program on hold for a season, it's only on hold for a season. He hasn't, he's, it's not, it hasn't gone away. Just as you were, now verse 30, just as you who were not at one time, dis, who at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So through Israel's disobedience, the Gentiles benefited. So this is why Paul is making the case. Don't get conceited, don't get uppity. Don't think you better than nobody, you Gentiles. Just because God has, has shown favor to the Gentiles, that was because it was part of the plan. There was a mystery that was hidden from the foundation of the world. He said Israel's gifts and callings are irrevocable because what he promised to Abraham, he's going to fulfill specifically, literally. Glory to God. He said, no, we, we, have, we haven't, God isn't slack concerning his promises. The gifts and call, callings of God are irrevocable. Glory to God. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So he's talking about the Gentiles, but I want to go back to this point. The full number of Gentiles. The re Israel has experienced a hardening in, the, in part until the full number of Gentiles is coming in. That's important. That's why the rapture hasn't happened yet. When God is ready 
we got that last Gentile. Israel has to be ready themselves to step back into the role of whatever plan God has, whatever that role is. And I, I'm not saying I can articulate every aspect of the role. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying when God is finished with, his, with the church, he's going to go back to Israel. The things that he put is whatever he put on hold for Israel, he unholds that hold. Because, but he waits till the church is finished. So the church can't be finished before Israel is ready and Israel can't do that thing until the church is filled. The rapture cannot happen before the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. It can't. This is, this is not optional. The rapture cannot happen before the fullness of Gentiles comes in. Once the fullness, of gen, the fullness of the Gentile happens, the rapture will take place. Once the church age is gone, God removes Israel's blindness, he removes their hardness, and prepares them for his messianic kingdom during the millennium. The fullness of the Gentiles and the removal of Israel blind, Israel's blindness are inextricably connected. One cannot happen without the other. The removal of Israel's blindness cannot happen until the fullness of the Gentiles or the completion of the church. The fullness of the Gentiles could not happen before Israel is ready. And Israel cannot be ready before she's back into her land, into that promised land, Israel. Therefore, the rapture could not have happened before 1948. Absolutely impossible. It couldn't have. We know that now because we are 71 years or 72 years, 73 years on the other side of that because they, they became a nation again. Uh, they were just 70 years old in 2018, 2018. So now they're 73 years old. We know that's true now because it's 2021 and the rapture hasn't happened yet. That's why the prophecy of the abomination of desolation is so important because at that time, only three and a half years is left before the Lord returns in glory to fight against those nations that have, that have gathered together against Israel. You have to see Zechariah 14 for that. Now, when the Lord returns, this is how it's going to be. Zechariah 14, chapter number, uh, verse number three through seven. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave or split in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there will be a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and the other half of it towards the south. And ye shall flee into the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah 
and the Lord my God shall come and all his saints with thee. That's when he's going to come. By this time, the church would have already been raptured. We'll be coming back with the Lord. Glory to God. See, this is exciting. This is what the Bible says. Is he going to bring the saints with him? Y'all going to be there. You never flew a day before in your life. You're going to fly in. If you never rode a horse, you're going to be riding one. Be on white horses. Glory to God. Interesting stuff. Very just great, great, great. Prophecy is so great. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear, nor the dark. But it shall be one day which is known to the Lord, not day or night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> when it's supposed to be daytime, it'll be dark. When it's supposed to be dark, it'll be daytime. So that means stuff is thrown. The powers, the Bible said, the powers of heaven would be shaken. This is what this is talking about. Maybe the, the rotation of the earth is thrown off. It's retarded. You won't be able to know day or night. Things are going to be all whacked out. Glory to God. Oh, but if we're still here, you'll be able to calculate the day. No, you won't. You still won't be able to calculate the day. You still won't know. The day of the hour. Jesus didn't say, Jesus said you won't know the day of the hour. He never said you wouldn't know the season. He never said that. Glory to God. Why do you think all this information is in your Bible? It's kind of like, why would God want you to know this? Well, he said, but so, so, uh, uh, uh. The only the, the only people that's going to benefit from this knowledge is the is the Christians of the uh, when the rapture happens. What about all the people that historically? Well, all the people historically, when they read it, they got out of it what they were supposed to get out of it, and, and they're going on now. So the first century Christian, when they read this, they got something out of it. When they read Revelation, they got something out of it. Whatever they got out of it, they got out of it. But now their generation is gone. We're the ones that's here. What the question is is what if our generation get out of it? You don't have to worry about the other generations. They're already gone. Why are you worried about them? We need, to, we need to be concerned about what is this saying to us? And guess what? God had to get it in in the first, uh, 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 by the fourth century. All the books of the Bible that we have now that, that, that were done in 397 at the, uh, uh, the, the Council of Carthage, glory to God. Well, they decided on, I think they finally finalized, you know, there were other synods and met and all this stuff about what, what books go in the Bible and which were Gnostic counterfeits and all of that. All these, it, it finally got finalized at a certain point. The bottom line is, is all of the epistles and all of the things had to go in the Bible during those centuries, ladies and gentlemen, or they'd have never made it in the Bible. If they wouldn't have made it in the Bible, it wouldn't be part of our Bible now. So that's why God had to write all these things when he wrote them and put the information in when he did. Revelation would have never made it if he did, if it wasn't written in the first century. It had to be written in the first century so it could be in circulation. And so the people, so by the time they got to the fourth century, when they canonized the Bible or, 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 or finalized the Bible, glory to God, Revelation had to be ready or else we would not have a revelation today. So it had to be in, in the first century, circulating, understood to be authentic apostolic authorship so that when they did the Senate in the fourth century in 397, 
it would be no question. Well, they did kind of debate on Revelation because it, it, was, it was hard to understand. But it made the cut. It made the cut because God wanted it to make the cut. Why? So we could talk about it. So we would know what was going to happen. Just think if Revelation would have never made the cut, ladies and gentlemen. We wouldn't know nothing about the Antichrist. All of the stuff that's in Revelation, we wouldn't know anything about it. God in his wisdom, he's the one that gives the signs. He's the one that made sure it got in the Bible. I think we need to pay attention to whatever the Bible says is going to happen. It's foolish to do any otherwise. So now let's look at this. You know, we've been talking a while now about things that have to happen. The Apostle Peter gives us a very, very good sign. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your hats. We're about to have a good time with this one. The scoffers. <laughs> the scoffers are going to come. And guess what they're going to ask? Where is is the promise of his coming. Second mm. Peter verses first second Peter three verses one and two. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and command given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Listen to what Peter is saying. Verse number three again. Above all, first of all, in other versions, why is he putting such an emphasis on this? He's putting an emphasis on it because this is a definite sign of the last days. 
It's a definite sign. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers are going to come. Scoffers and mockers are the same thing. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Now, granted, scoffers may have been saying this all during the church age. That might be true. Certainly during the first century, they might have said it because them Christians in the first century thought that the Lord was coming in their day. Oh, oh, okay, I get it. But we're 2,000 years on the other side of that. So we, now we can't be talking about that. We're talking about the day. Now we understand there's some context for it in the last days. And we're not just talking about the last days in a general sense of the entire church age. We're speaking of the latter times because we're talking about the eschaton here. We're talking eschatology. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. What are they going to say? They're not, they're not only, they're not, it's a lot of things they could say. Y'all, y'all believe in Jesus. He didn't rise from the dead. Oh, y'all believe in the Bible. Don't trust the Bible. Oh, y'all, y'all still go to church. See, it's a bunch of things that scoffers can say, but this group of scoffers is going to be talking about where is his coming. Now that is significant. Significant, ladies and gentlemen. very significant. Glory to God. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers are going to come. Where is the promise of his coming? Why are scoffers going to say that all the things they could be saying, they pick out that particular criticism. Why that one? Why that one? Glory to God. Why that one? Maybe it could be this. Right now, millions of Christians all over the world do not expect to be on earth during Daniel's 70th week. Pre-trib calls it the tribulation period. I think it's more accurately called, just call it Daniel's 70th week. They don't think they'll be here for any of that. They believe the Tim LaHaye version of things. How all of a sudden it's just going to happen. Planes are going to fall out the sky. Police cars are going to run into stuff. Trains are going to derail. And because the Holy Spirit is taken and the church goes with them, the world is thrown into chaos. And all of my other podcasts, you just got to go back and listen to it. We completely disprove the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer. That's a doctrine that John Nelson Darby traditionally said, had no scriptures to prove it. And that's why the scripture uh, 
proof texts they use to try to back it up are disconnected from eschatology. And it's called what is called a collapsing text, a collapsing context, because that means they use scriptures not related to the topic to prove a point. Holy Spirit was not ever said to leave. That's what they taught. It's not true. Glory to God. So when these millions, just follow me here, when these millions of Christians around the world, this is what's going to happen as we get closer and closer to Daniel 70 week, as Israel starts to build that temple, as they start to get this covenant of peace in place, people on the planet are going to know about it. You know, remember how Donald Trump was over there doing all these peace deals and all that? Every time he got a chance, he did a press conference on it. They're going to be doing press conference. This is not going to be done in secret. This is not just all of a sudden going to happen. It'll be on the news. People will know about this. Glory to God. People will know when Israel is building their temple. It's going to be it's going to be a tourist thing and everything. People are going to go, go there and say, oh, they're building a the temple and all of that. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The church is still here. But there's millions of Christians that have been taught the church is not going to be here. So as these things get closer and closer and closer and closer, glory to God, now that we're on the other side of 1948, now that we're on the other side of God filling up the fullness of the Gentile and getting Israel ready to take the mantle after the church is uh, 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 completed, glory to God. As people start seeing this stuff, pre-trib people are going to be saying the rapture is about to happen. It's about to happen. It hasn't happened in all this time, but we already know we'll be out of here before this covenant is signed. And they're going to be talking about the covenant on the news. They're going to be talking about the temple. You're going to hear about all of this stuff and tricks are going to be all over. The, they're going to be gleefully. They're going to be giddy all over the place going bananas over the fact that they believe the rapture is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, when that covenant is signed and the church is not gone. It's going to draw out mockers from all over the world. We're going to laugh at Christians. They're going to laugh at them and say, where is the promise of his coming? Now the mockers are going to, the mockers are evil now. And I'm not saying that the, that the Christians are, 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 are evil. I'm just saying that so many of them are pre-trib because they've been taught all this time that all this stuff has to happen. And this is what the real deal is. And this is how it's going to go down. And I, and I read all the Howell Lindsay books and I read all of the Tim LaHaye books and I read all the Walworth stuff and all of these other pre-trib authors and all our pastors have all told us we're going to be out of here. There's no way we'll be here. They've promised us, promised us. So as all these events get closer, and the rapture hasn't happened yet. What's going to happen is people are going to know it because Christians are going to be vocal about them being raptured prior to certain things happening. This is when everybody is going to know pre-trib is wrong. See, this will become self-evident, but it's going to be a shock. Just imagine how shocked how millions of evangelicals were shocked. They, they, they didn't have any answers for it if they were so shocked. They were besides themselves shocked when Donald Trump lost because they just knew their agenda and God's agenda was the same agenda. They just had that down. They, oh God, we got you down. 
Oh, we know you're anti-abortion, you're pro-police, you're pro-Israel, so we on your side, right? God going wrong. God ain't on nobody's side. He's not on the Republican side. Give me a break. He's not on the Democrat side. Even give me a bigger break. Independent? Nobody. It's like what the, what the, what the uh, uh, captain of the Lord host told Joshua on the road to, on the Jericho road. He said, whose side are you on? You be for us or against us? He said, I'm not on anybody's side. None of y'all's side. I'm the captain of the Lord. So as I come to bring a kingdom agenda into human experience, I'm not here to take sides on either one of y'all. None of y'all are worthy of me to be on your side. Who do we think we are? God, we actually think that we have an agenda so tight and so perfect and so holy that God is on our side. Let me tell you something, God ain't on nobody's side. Not politically. He's got his own kingdom. He's got his own rule. He's got his own theocratic government that he's gonna institute when he comes back. So the mockers are gonna be drawn out. They're gonna criticize because most people that are Christians believe preach real. And when all these signs start going down and the church hasn't left yet, that's going to cause big time problems. People are going to freak out and the mockers are going to come out of the woodwork and laugh. Say, ha, 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 ha. Y'all said last week, y'all was going to be gone by the time old boy signed this uh, contract over here. There he is and there the temple is. Y'all still here. What happened? Oh, the Bible ain't true. What you were taught, you can have all these people still here. The persecution starting to start, just like Jesus said. And we're going to get to that. So how does Peter deal with this? Number Verse number three, he says, above all, you must understand that in the last day, this is why he, he emphasizes the way he says, above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers are going to come. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? But this is what Peter says. Listen to this. But do not forget this one thing. It's like, like there's one little detail y'all leaving out of here. <laughs> it's one little detail. You know what that one little detail is? Guess what that one little detail is? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Uh-oh. And a thousand years like a day. So wait a minute. When God said, I come quickly, he is coming quickly because in his time, Christ was just here two days ago. Two days ago. So he said, when I come quickly, he's talking from his perspective, not ours. He never did mean that he was coming right away in human terms. He never did mean that. How do we know he didn't mean that? Because it's been 2,000 years now, and he still hasn't come back. So this is why Peter makes a statement he makes. He said, wait a minute, y'all. Y'all are on the wrong time frame. You are on Eastern Standard Time. God is like not on Eastern Standard Time because one of his days is a thousand of your years. Glory to God. One of his days is a thousand of our years. Just think of that. 
Christ and God's time two days ago. And then listen what Peter says here. He follows this up. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. But you here are Christians, ladies and gentlemen. That's who the you is. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the delay, the long delay that God has decided to insert in between Pentecost and the day of the Lord is so that people have time to repent. And I'm so glad he didn't come in the 15th century because none of us would be here. None of us would have made it. None of us would be experiencing the glory. He let you and I be born in the 20th century and hadn't come yet so that you and I could be part of his glorious kingdom. He had a plan, ladies and gentlemen, that he foreknew us for the foundation of the world. So therefore, since we were foreknown from the foundation of the world, he's waiting till the fullness of the Gentiles and Obviously, that's not going to happen before the 21st century. Because he wants people to repent. You have a brother out there that you've been praying for. That God is going to save. There are unborn children that God is gonna say. There are people in other countries, we don't even know about them. We don't even know to think about them or care about them because we don't know who they are. In countries, people will never meet. God is looking at them. He's saving them, he's saving their families too. Yes, it's Maranatha, Lord come, but Lord come in your time, not ours. We're not the little child. The church is not the little child in the backseat going, mom and daddy, are we there yet? Because they tired and they restless and they want to hurry up and get there without any concept of time or how long it takes for God to work his program out in, in, in regards to human years as opposed to his days. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. And so what God does is he, and so what the parent does is he looked back to the back seat and he tells the child, he says, just wait, we'll be there soon. Knowing that they still have a long way to go on the journey and it wouldn't do any good to try to tell a five-year-old why, why it takes 2,000, uh, why, why 2,000 miles to get to LA. The child ain't, ain't gonna get that. So why are you wasting time? All you do is just say, wait, we'll be there soon. That's all he needs to know. And those words are reassuring to him so he can start thinking about something else. So God told us through the apostles in the first century, wait, I'm coming soon. But God knew that would, wouldn't be for 2000 years. He didn't pull any shenanigans on us. It's just that the Christians in the first century had no chance of ever seeing the rapture during their lifetime. They weren't the chosen generation for that. 
but it had to be written to them and the Bible had to be written at the time it was because once it was canonized, there would be no other opportunity to insert an epistle or any document into the Holy Writ, the Bible that we have now. So the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. That's not it. So the whole object of his slowness or his delay is for people to get saved because this is the time of the Gentile church. And it's time, it's the time for this. Well, you can repent and come to the Lord. So his reason for not coming back in his first century is because he was thinking about people like you and me in the 21st century. And I'm thank God he waited. Aren't you glad he waited? Thank God the first century Christians had it wrong. Though this was a problem in Peter's day, it's not just a first century issue. Many commentators focus on the scoffers that service in Peter's day. That's true. Yeah, they service. The problem with that is twofold. The Lord still has not come and it's still an issue for us today. Two, the passage clearly states above all, you must understand. He says, above all, you must understand. So that means this is really, really important for you guys to get about the coming of the Lord. Glory to God. Knowing, as a matter of fact, above all, in the end, it says above all, you must understand in the NIV. But in the ESV, it says knowing first of all. In the, Hol in the Holman uh, 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 Standard Bible, it says, first be aware of this. And the KJV, knowing this first. Know this first of all in the NASB. So there's great emphasis that was placed on the fact that these mockers were going to come. But why are they eschatology mockers as opposed to the ones in Peter's day? Well, the eschatology mockers are a sign within itself that is in response to what I believe will be a circumstance. Now I'm putting in my beliefs now with a circumstance that's going to accompany the whole idea of people falling away. You see, the reason why there's going to be a big falling away, and Jesus talked about it, is because persecution is going to start and people who thought they weren't going to be here are still going to be here and they're not going to be able to deal with the persecution. They're not going to be able to deal with the fact that, that now they have to take the mark of the beast or, or and without it, they will not be able to buy a sale. They're not going to be able to handle that. And many people that we see in churches today, glory to God, if this happened right away, and maybe it may not happen in our, our time, maybe it might be another hundred years, we don't know that. But whenever this happens, whenever this mark happens, whenever all this stuff happens, there are going to be people who fall away, they're going to jump ship. And this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. When the persecution starts, the people will turn away and abandon the faith. This is the same thing that Paul said. He said, but this sign comes before the day of the Lord. He says, the falling away, the apostasy must happen first and the man of sin be revealed, uncovered, apocalyptic, who is going to walk in the temple of God and call himself God. 
So this is why Paul can put the rapture, our gathering together, and the day of the Lord in the same conversation because the abomination of desolation is a sign for both events because both events happen after the abomination of desolation is put in place. And so all the Christians that thought they were going to be raptured are still going to be here. It's going to draw the mockers out and the mockers are going to precede the persecution and the persecution is going to happen because and then people are going to abandon the faith just like Jesus said it was going to happen. Peter said, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days. Last days comes from the Greek word eschatos, where we get our English word eschatology. It means the furthest, final, in a, a place of time, the ends of, last, latter end. That's what it means. Peter was clearly warning Christians that in the last days, scoff excuse me, scoffers, mockers shall come. Peter lived during the reign of Nero, a bloodthirsty Christian hater. During this time, persecution of Christians was common. So Peter's statement of scoffers coming in the last days is important. Peter didn't say scoffers are now present, though they were. The point is, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is prophesying about the last days, the eschatos, a time in the distant future. Since Peter is warning Christians about the mockers in the distant future, that means that the church would still be here to see these times. Peter punctuates the importance of this message by prefacing the statement with knowing this first of all. Peter believes that the most important thing that they need to know, understand or know, or to use this, this previous terminology, recall, is the prediction of the scoffers. The time reference for the appearance of these scoffers is the last days, which expresses Jude's in the last times in the more standard language of Jewish scriptures. It appears in Jeremiah 30 and 24, in the Septuagint uh, 37 and 24, in Ezekiel 38 and 16, Daniel 2 and 28, Hosea, Hosea 3 and 5, Micah 4 and 1, in each case indicating the time when God would come in judgment. That's not, those are not my words. That's from the Pillar New Testament commentary. That's not my words. That's, that's another writer, the last days. The rapture, if the rapture was intimate, With no signs preceding it, how could Peter predict the conditions that the end time church would see? The mockers themselves are a sign, ladies and gentlemen. That means that the church would not be raptured until at least the mockers show up. 
What the first century Christians missed was God's timing and humans understand of time are two vastly different things. Peter states, 2 Peter 3 and 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. In God's timing, Christ was just here two days ago. In God's timing, he is coming quickly. The long delay in God's coming was taken to mean that God couldn't keep his promise to return. Peter's response is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowest, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So you want to know why the church hasn't been raptured for 2,000 years? Because God is patient. He's merciful. He wants people to repent. There's still time to repent. Glory to God. That's why. He said, but oh, don't, 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 don't take slack. This, his delay is slackness. It's not slack. It's mercy. The point is that the repentance is an attribute of the age of grace. People aren't repenting during the wrath of God. They're not going to repent. They're going to be able to repent. And even if they did get sorry, God wouldn't accept it. Just like Judas. Judas, Judas was sorry later on, too late. Esau was sorry later on, too late. You know, just because somebody repents don't mean God is going to accept the repentance. You know, you can repent too late. God can shut you off from that. He has to grant your repentance. So the point is that repentance is an attribute of the age of grace. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Therefore, God has delayed his coming thousands of years because there are still people that he is going to save. These are part of the fullness of the Gentiles. Acts 17, 30, and 31. This is what Bible says. The Bible says, the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he's commanding all people everywhere to repent because he has a fixed day. Listen to that, a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. <laughs> it's a fixed day, ladies and gentlemen. What draws out the mockers? Basically, I went over this. Let's do it again. Where's the promise of his coming? What draws them out? Millions of Christians been taught they would not be here to see Daniel's 70th week. This is the main teaching of pre-trib theory. The vast majority of Christians, particularly in the West, hold to this teaching, partly because they've been taught that the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians is the Holy Spirit to be removed before the end, before the revealing of the Antichrist. As we approach the enactment of the seven-year covenant of Daniel 9.27 and the building of Israel's temples, 
Christians all over the world will be insisting and even celebrating that the rapture is about to happen soon, before the covenant and before the temple. However, once that covenant is enacted by the person who will become the beast of Revelation 13, three and a half years later, and the temple starts being built or may already be built, it will be, a clear, it will be clear to those that believe pre-trib that they were wrong. The mockers will be directly responding to the insistence of most Christians that the rapture should have already happened, but it didn't. This is why the mockers of 2 Peter and Jude speaks coming in the last days. This is what Jude says. But dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time, there will be scoffers walk according to their own godly, ungodly desire. Even if in Jude and Peter were speaking of mockers and scoffers in terms of their own time, then certainly the last days would inevitably apply to us 20 centuries later. So if they were talking about them then, they would have to be talking about them now because the rapture hasn't happened yet and scoffers are going to come. Mockers will ridicule Christians who have been insisting that the rapture should have happened by a certain point. Once Daniel 70 week gets here, they're, 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 that, that kills pre-trib. Pre at that point, everybody's going to know what's going on. But where is that going to leave all these people who are going to be disillusioned? Christians will be expecting the left behind scenario to occur only to discover that was based on a faulty pre-trib rapture theory. Once Christians find out that they are still here, many will fall away and abandon the faith. The scoffers and the mockers will precede the persecution. This period of persecution and falling away was prophesied by Daniel, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the book of Revelation. This is what it says in Matthew 24, verses 9 and 10. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate one another. Second Thessalonians, do not let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So this is gonna get, you're gonna get this persecution thing, you're gonna get the falling away. Second Thessalonians, Daniel, he shall speak, speaking of the Antichrist, pompous, pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Talk about Antichrist. Revelation 13, 6 and 7, and it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Blaspheme his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over it to every tribe and people and nation. Revelation 13, 10. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. 
If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. The Bible is telling you what's going to happen. Pre-trib hasn't prepared anybody for anything. Matthew 16, 24 through 7, 27. Listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Then he asks a question. What good will it do? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. So ladies and gentlemen, let's just talk about this passage. This passage is an eschatological passage because it talks about Jesus returning with his angels and giving out reward. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's eschatology. That's not. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling you what's going to happen in those times. And he's saying, he said, listen, if you're going to be my disciple during that time, you better be able to take up your cross and follow me. He says, anybody who comes after me, he says, if you, if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. But if you, if you try to save your life, to, to, and give in to the mark of the beast and to give in to the Antichrist and to get his mark so you'll be able to buy or sell. What that will amount to is you selling out. You're selling your soul. And so Jesus is saying, what good does it do if you gain the whole world and lost your soul? This is an eschatology passage, ladies and gentlemen. This is what he said. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. Now, who are going to be the ones who lose their life? The people who fall away because of the persecution. And the ones who fall away will end up compromising and taking the mark of the beast. Why? Because they will not be able to deal with, number one, being able to per get persecuted, lose their life, going to jail, none of that. They, di they didn't sign up for none of that. They, no, Pre-trib always taught them that they weren't going to be here. So they didn't sign up for that. So now when they get caught in this situation, they're going to jump ship. But when they're jumping ship at this point, it boils down to them attempting to save their life so they won't have to take the death sentence of getting the mark of the beast or, or refusing to get the mark of the beast. So what they're going to do is they're going to compromise and get the mark of the beast. And in doing so, they're trading their soul for the world. And that's why Jesus ends. He said, because look, I'm coming back with my angels and I'm going to give everybody their reward. That's an eschatology passage. And this is what's going to happen. Due to the doctrine of an embassy, pre-trib see none of these prophecies as relating to the church. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a crime. All of this information the Bible has given us, they don't see any of this as signs as before, happening before the rapture of the church. Because as they declare themselves, 
If something else must take place before an event can happen, that event is not imminent. The necessity of something being of something taking place first destroys the concept of intimacy. I think all these prophecies destroy that concept. I think it kills it. But the way they use intimacy, what they do, how they do it, it says all of those prophecies have nothing to do with the church. They, they, they use the exact opposite logic. We're talking about the same prophecies, but it's how they deal with it. Because of the doctrine of intimacy, ladies and gentlemen, every prophecy that should be applied to the church is not, creating the false notion that no prophecies were given to the church when there are many prophecies that are vital to understanding the end times and Christians' relationship to it. A number of prophecies negate the doctrine of intimacy. Remember, there are no scriptures or teachings that tell Christians not to look for the signs the Bible gives. If it's in the Bible, you better pay attention to it. This concludes this segment of our lesson. Well, I got a few more scriptures. Timothy said there's perilous times are gonna come. These are just some of the other scriptures. Timothy 3.1 knowing this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. That's the sign right there, perilous times. Are we not living in perilous times, ladies and gentlemen? They said it was gonna come. You're talking to Christians here. Let's look at it in ESV, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. In the NIV, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The term last days applied to Christians in the first century, even more so it would apply to us in the 20th century. <laughs> and the rapture hasn't happened yet. Paul is clearly telling us about how things will be in the latter years for Christians. Perilous time shall come is a sign that the church will still be here to see this under perilous conditions. That means the rapture could not have happened before the perilous times arrived. The whole world is watching. I just got a few passages left and we're gonna end this teaching. This is the third uh, segment is our last one. I want to just put this in your spirit. Revelation 11, 7 through 9. And it says, and when they shall have finished their testimony, he's talking about the two witnesses here. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Footnote, God allows allows the beast, to kill the two witnesses. The two witnesses are holy people. God lets them get killed. It's part of like, like what saints do, right? They die for the Lord. But anyway, let's just move on. And the dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That means Jerusalem. And they of the people's kindreds, tongues, and nations 
shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in grave. Ladies and gentlemen, when John wrote this in the first century, this prophecy was impossible. There was no way for the people on the planet to be able to see something at once. That technology did not exist until the 21st century. Now it's commonplace. Everybody has a cell phone. People can, we can watch the news worldwide because we have satellite communications. Something, an image in Israel can be beamed around the world in real time. And we can all see it on TV all over the world at the same time. Now, John didn't know anything about computer chips and artificial intelligence. He didn't have language for that stuff. He had language for satellites and, 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 and high-speed internet and Facebook. He didn't have language for that. He just said the whole world was going to see this at one time. Glory to God. The whole world is watching. That couldn't have happened until the 20th century. The rapture hasn't happened yet. So that means this technology itself is a sign. Right? When the two witnesses uh, 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 are killed in Jerusalem, people all over the globe will be able to see their to see these two witnesses, dead bodies laying in Jerusalem. We already talked about this GPS and satellite communications. These are all attributes of a modern, technologically advanced society. No human being prior to the 20th century understood how this could be possible that the whole world could see their dead bodies laying in the street of Jerusalem. This only became realistic in the 20th century. I'm so glad that he waited for us. I'm so glad that God waited for us. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for these series of teachings, Lord God, on the intimate return of Christ. We pray that this was a blessing to those who will listen to it and learn from it. Glory to God. Father, as I've always said, if I'm wrong about pre-trib and pre-trib is right, then hallelujah, we're all out of here before the trouble starts. Great. But Lord, what if pre-trib is wrong? And millions of Christians all over the world who thought they were gonna be raptured aren't. That's gonna be catastrophic. And many people are going to fall away. And the teachings that you have given me, O oh Lord, you have shown me critical errors in the pre-trib rapture theory. And Father, I challenge two of the top pre-trib scholars of our age, Dr. John Walvoord and Dr. Dwight Pentecost. Neither one of them had good answers for the challenges that I made. 
but Lord, you gave me the wisdom and I have shared it with your children. Bless everyone that hears these teachings and takes them to heart. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. God bless you and keep you. Listen, get a copy of my book, Revelation Revolution, The Antichrist, Angels and the Abyss, and my other book, You Must Know the Times, answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy. You can get these books at Walmart. You can get them at Amazon. You can get them all over the place. Glory to God. Listen, if you want to reach out to me, you can. PhD, the letters PhD Ministries, ministry spelled all the way out, the, the number 400 at att.net. That is PhD Ministries, the number 400 at att.net. Uh, if you want to talk to me, send me an email first. We'll respond to the email and all of that. Glory to God. So listen, God bless you and keep you in Jesus' mighty name. Love you for real though. This was a good one, wasn't it? In Jesus' name. God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. We'll see you the next time. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, the Return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the Book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.